Welcome to Surgical Hot Topics, a podcast series from the Society of Thoracic Surgeons. This podcast features leaders in cardiothoracic surgery discussing timely issues important to the profession and their patients. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual participants and not necessarily that of STS. Thank you for joining us for this uh, STS um, video roundtable discussion. And the topic is uh, young professors uh, tips and tricks for early and mid-career faculty to excel in modern uh, academic medicine. And is also part of the um, STS uh, surgical uh, hot topic uh, podcast. My name is uh, Rania Prevenza and I'm the, mo the moderator of this table and I'm really very happy to have a distinguished uh, a panel of experts and importantly are um, already um, young professors and uh, uh, that they have already achieved you know the epitome of, acad uh, of academic uh, medicine and um, I would like and they are going to share with us uh, their insight with regards to the promotion uh, process so I would like to uh, each of us to introduce each other so I'm Himanshu Patel at, uh, I, I work at the University of Michigan Hi, I'm Elaine Tsang. I'm a professor at the University of, San uh, University of California at San Francisco and the San Francisco VA. And I'm uh, Rania Pevenza. I'm faculty at Dal Cardiac Surgeon at the Bello College of Medicine. I'm Stiel Singel. I'm an associate professor in thoracic surgery at the University of Pennsylvania. So um, let's start with uh, you, Sanil. Um, I'm an early career person. I'm an assistant professor. Just started my job one or two years ago and I have a very busy clinical schedule. And as a result, I have already neglected some of my scholarly activities. What do you think or what do you suggest that I should do to balance my clinical work with my scholarly activities so I'll be able to get promoted into the next level that is actually the level that you have already achieved and is associate professor? Yeah, no, thank you for the question. I, you had asked me to think a little bit about this. And uh, I think that if I had to impart something, I would say that I would give five pearls on what I believe are ways to get to the next step. So um, my first pearl is I believe that when you are very busy and you're trying to get going, is that you have to, especially in our professional cardiothoracic surgeons, we need to be extremely focused. So uh, we cannot spend a lot of time on four different projects or five different projects. I think it's very important for us very early on to pick a project, to pick one project, to really focus on, to think about it, uh, and to be the leader on it. Um, we don't have, unlike our sort of medical colleagues who can spend three to four or five years exploring different ideas, different pathways, if they're doing basic science, different topics if they're doing clinical research, I think cardiothoracic surgeons are already so busy and our time is so limited that we need to be very focused, pick one topic that we want to do a deep dive on. I think my second pearl is to make sure you have uh, two people um, that you're talking to constantly. First, you need to be talking to your division chief. It's very important you talk to your division chief, say, this is what I want to do, I want to go academic. And want some time. You know, there's no such thing as protected time for us. It's just not going to happen. That's a very non-CT surgeon phenomena. Uh, but you need to work with your division chief and, and say, you know, what is the right mix? What is your need in the division? And where can I get some slack time? Um, and then the other person I think that you need to constantly talk to is your mentor. 
Um, ideally, you want a mentor who's walked in the area of research that you want to do. Uh, it doesn't have to be a surgeon, uh, but they need to understand the time constraints of a surgeon because there are plenty of great um, scientific mentors who just don't know how to mentor a surgeon because of their time constraints and they don't understand that they're not there. Um, the third pearl uh, I wanted to impart was I think it's very important that, uh, especially if you're trying to get the promotion, don't forget to write. Now, writing is very important. It's sort of what makes a true academic surgeon is the ability to write, whether it's papers, reviews, whether you're writing protocols uh, for a clinical trial, you're submitting IRBs, you're doing an IACOC. You just got to get in the habit of writing uh, because that really defines what an academic surgeon is. Um, the fourth thing, I think, especially in cardiothoracic surgery, uh, I would say is be flexible. Don't get frustrated. You will go weeks on end where maybe you're in the OR, you're, you're between clinic and the OR every day, and you just have to accept that. And um, you know, you'll make it up some other, way, other times and other ways, but just take a breather, you're attending. It will take a few years, uh, but be flexible. And the last pearl, um, that I want to impart was um, take full advantage of your team. So when I mean team, you may have some students, you may have some residents, some fellows, somebody who's in the lab, somebody who's in a protocol with you, somebody who's writing a paper. Make time for them um, because they can do a lot of work for you with just a little bit of 45 minutes a week and sitting down with them and, and giving them direction. They can be working 40, 50 hours a week for you and really helping you get off the start and get you over that hump when you're busy on certain weeks. Um, so I would say those are really the five things I would say. Stay focused and make sure you have a good team of a um, division chief and the mentor. Keep writing, uh, build a team around you, uh, and just relax. You, you'll get there. Go with the flow. That's yeah. great. Um, One thing I, I would actually yes. add mm -hmm. to that yes. is just uh, not to be afraid to fail. Yes, honestly, Absolutely. because that actually comes from a Silicon Experience. Valley type of culture mm. where you realize, even if you are focused, the truth of the matter is maybe what you did do in fellowship and residency Absolutely. for research is not ultimately what you end up choosing to do because it's not your passion. That was what Absolutely. your mentor's passion Absolutely. was, and so you have to be willing to try something, fail, and decide you want to do something different. And remember that it's your entire career, so you exactly. have the time to build over time what you need to do. So just don't be afraid to exactly. fail and keep and you have trying to keep and keep being pers mm -hmm. persistent. Yeah. One, one point, mm -hmm. if I could add. The writing is actually very important, and my suggestion is you do it consistently, like a little bit every day Absolutely. or at least every week. And I think the teaching part that you um, alluded to was also very important because you have to look at um, your teaching portfolio, um, mm -hmm. developing students. That's all very important going to uh, associate professor of tenure is, occurs then. They're going to look, most tenure committees will look at uh, not only what your scholarly activity is, but what contributions you've made for teaching, what contributions you've made in other areas as well. So I think those are all very good points that you raised. Yeah, I completely agree. Now, I have to say that this, is, uh, this topic is really very close to my heart, and the reason is because I got promoted last year, you know, to full professor tenure at Baylor. Some of you have already written letters for me, and I greatly appreciate it. And what I realized is that the process was, having processes in place to help you was extremely important. 
And um, I has, I, I'm saying that because um, our provost, that is Alicia Monroe, Dr. Monroe, really one of the leaders on the field, as well as the, uh, the president, Dr. Klotman, they really had these processes with their team in place to make the whole promotion process um, easy for me. And definitely with the help of my chair, I was able to, uh, to achieve that. So the question to you, Himansu, uh, is that you just you know, got from being a faculty to being chief of adult cardiac surgery at Michigan, and you have also you know, a big program there, is you're advising a mid-career faculty member that is getting ready to meet with a chair to make their point about their promotion. And of course, as we know, is that uh, the chair has five minutes. So you have to do what we call the elevator pitch. What do you advise that person to do uh, to basically use the chair time to the best of their you know, ability, like these five minutes? What will be the key points that they have to raise to the chair to make their point? So a couple things. One is if, uh, if, you're at, if you're with the right chair and you're talking about something like that, it better be more than five minutes. That's the first thing. The second thing, I think, is that when you're, um, when you're meeting with the chair, you want to make sure that uh, what you present to that person uh, satisfies the full portfolio of what is expected for somebody to go to the next level in promotion. And you, you want to make sure you emphasize those points and you deliver them in relatively succinct manner. So here is what I've done from my... Um, from my academic portfolio. This is where my research focus has been. This is what I've done. I have mentored medical students, residents in my lab, and, um, and I have uh, you know, participated in bedside teaching. And here's, here's the contribution that I have for this. I have done service within national organizations, and here are some of the things that I have done uh, so far. And, and then the last is you, you, wanna, you, you want to have shown some level of contribution to the department in, in other ways. And I think those four things together would make a very strong argument for you going up to promotion. Some of this also is obviously institution dependent and will require some time. Not everybody is, is, uh, is capable of, of achieving all of those things in three years. but you know, they can still do the same thing in seven years. And I think it, you also have to recognize that it's, it's, not a, uh, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. So exactly. when you're looking at a 30-year career, you want to be able to look at it perhaps in sort of 10-year blocks, not necessarily getting the promotion at 10 years, yeah. but you want to be able to look at it in that sort of fashion. And I think while you're at it, it's very critical in those early part of in the early part of your career to network well with other surgeons around the the country because at some point you will be asking for letters with partners Absolutely. around. And so the sooner you get to know them from study sections, from national meetings, from other activities, uh, the easier it'll be for them to write letters for promotions for supporting your promotion. Absolutely, and stay focused and know exactly <coughs> the requirements and the process that it takes for you to get from point A to point B and be very clear about what exactly you said, research, teaching, education. All these are components that you should be able to have a very quickly saying to your chair or to your chief, I have accomplished A, B, C, and know what are the A, B, Cs are. 
So a couple of things is that at least the universities usually have very defined guidelines and so oftentimes they'll say associate is when you've reached some amount of national recognition and then full professor you have to actually reach some amount of international and so it's always helpful to actually have friends in the international space um, because then they will uh, help you write letters and things like that and then the second point I'd make is just that from surgery you may not find mentors, and I actually didn't when mm -hmm. I was trying to go through my promotions process, that surgeons weren't necessarily the best mentors for that process. And mm -hmm. so I you agree. can find them in other fields, whether it be medicine or radiology or and people that are in your collaborative space, but that are in different fields can often help navigate because that promotions process is not just surgery. And that CAP committee, that committee That's that looks good. at that on um, academic promotions is across fields. So it's helpful to have that multidisciplinary view of what that promotions process is That's like. That's an extremely important point because at least I know f through our processes, again, we have this multidisciplinary. And the way that I see a CV is a completely different than somebody that is basic science or somebody that is pediatrician or OBGYN. And I think having different people, as you said, to look your CV over and say, what exactly do you mean by this? Uh, what exactly, I mean, you've been senior author there or corresponding author there or a first author there. And make these different small tweets in your CV really can be very, very helpful. Um, One thing that actually they require now in promotion, which actually I like, is you have to come forward with your five, what you perceive as your five best accomplishments. Exactly. And, uh, and you have to list them out, and that goes on the very first page of your promotion. What are the five accomplishments you're most pr proud about? If it's a paper, you need to submit a PDF of that paper. So it gives a chance for the candidate to say what they think is important. Uh, it, it, it actually, mm -hmm. all of this requires you know, consistent effort at making sure you document some of these things. Absolutely. Because when you get to year six, if you haven't done that, you'll forget. Forget, <laughs> absolutely. Like yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Elaine, uh, you're guys having a search out, and uh, you've been at the um, University of uh, California, San Francisco for a long time, and you've been a vital um, part of the practice there. Uh, what do you think a person looking to your institution should really ask or look for because you're talking about the person maybe potentially coming from outside to a different system. What are the specific, you think, uh, recommendations or uh, I wouldn't really say requirements, but just some insights that that person really should look for? And I think that when people are looking to their next stage in their career, and especially if they're looking to become a chair at a different institution, one of the key elements that is kind of critically different among institutions is every institution has its own culture. Mm -hmm. And that culture can be, you know, very difficult to sort of overcome what the changes are in that culture. And so whoever is trying to make that move really has to understand what is that existing culture? Mm -hmm. What does the dean, the department foresee as the future of that particular division, right? And then how are they going to accomplish that within that culture? Because fighting against the culture is going to be counterproductive, and so what you have to do is find a way to achieve those aims and ask for the right resources within that institution. And then the other part I would say is just that when 
when they are looking to that for long-standing faculty members such as myself that you know that they get to know the faculty that are there and really understand what their interests their passions are what they've actually accomplished what they contribute and frankly it's a bit of a service to be Absolutely. a division chief Absolutely. it's really not about that person's own career anymore it's exactly. really about making sure that all of the faculty Absolutely. there are successful because the more successful every single one of their faculty is the more successful the overall division becomes absolutely i think that's a key because become a chief is not anymore about you but it's about all the team that you lead and how you get there and how you'll be able to make all these five people that you lead to become leaders in other institutions down the line and i think this is going to be a key here and I mean, Himansu, I mean, you're already a chief there. What, what do you think? So I, I think it's, it's, again, you have, to, you have to be prepared to do it. So it, it doesn't happen, you know, some people can, be, can become chiefs at a much earlier time in their career and at different institutions, but it, a lot of that depends on whether they're, you know, interested in doing something like that at that point in their career. And I think that's actually a very important aspect you know that inward looking time of understanding what you know the appropriate stage of your career you are and whether you're ready to sit there and do those other aspects that the chief requires. Great and um, the last question is that actually something very very contemporary there's a lot of talk about including uh, scholarly activities into the faculty promotion process what do you guys uh, think with regards to the um, uh, social media scholarly activity? Should we include that into the faculty promotion process? Or if we are going to include it, what are you think specific requirements to have in order to make sure that um, you know, we achieve what we're planning to? You know, I, I think that um to look at from the perspective of the person who's doing the promotion, from the chair or the, um, it's very hard to tease out uh, different levels of social media, whether it's you know one end maybe like 60 minutes and another one is a small tweet. And so how do you begin to discriminate exactly. what is valid, what is not? Um, and if you begin to throw that into the promotion process, I think that um, it becomes a slippery slope well, so-and-so got promoted because they had this, and so-and-so. I, I think it becomes very hard for the people at the upper levels to use social media as a valid um, methodology of promotion. Um, I welcome your thoughts, too. I mean, I have to admit, I really don't use social media very much right. so. But I understand that, you know, when you think about publications, you have citation indices and some sort of way of understanding how much of an impact a paper has. I suppose you might use a similar type of metric. And there are like some other metrics, like alt metrics that people use to see, because a citation can take years to come. But you know the alt metrics, alt metrics as a proposed you know factor to see the impact of the article apparently um, can show you the buzz that is or the you know the motion that is getting you know on the media. But of course here the question is by just tweeting an article or just spending like three minutes, is this really the time or is really 
is this equivalent to you putting your time, like putting a clinical trial together or writing a paper or a manuscript? I mean, I think clear definitions here. We don't really have yet clear definitions about the scholarly activity on the social media. Yeah, so I don't, that's not peer reviewed. You, it hasn't been vetted to see if it's correct and um, acceptable to other uh, people who may know that, uh, that subject matter as well. And I think that peer review process is very, very important, important to maintain academic integrity. Again, I would like to thank all of you for this uh, great uh, roundtable, and I would like to, to thank our audience. I hope that uh, this was very um, uh, valid to you. And on a personal level, I, would, I wish I would actually have seen some of this roundtable discussion when I was applying for my uh, uh, full professorship and the associate professorship. Thank you so much. It was a great pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to Surgical Hot Topics. If you like this podcast, please rate it and let your friends and colleagues know about it. More information about the Society of Thoracic Surgeons is available online at sts.org and on our patient website, ctsurgerypatients.org.